1: On this show, we spend a lot of time talking about stocks, about markets, about the Fed, about the economy, about earnings and interest rates, currencies, commodities. We focus on the day-to-day gyrations of the averages, like how the Dow backslid 135 points today. A, a lot of that was 3M, by the way. While the S&P dipped 0.04%, and the Nasdaq actually advanced 0.21%. But you know what deserves a lot more of our attention on Mad Money? Timeframe. The subject of time frame. As in the time frame you have in mind, when you buy a stock, think it'll go higher. If you're looking for a four-week trade, it will be very different from a four-year investment. Today at CNBC, we had some real fun. We held our annual stock draft, and this concept was on full display with some terrific personalities, selecting three stocks each from a draft pool of about six of 61 names, three stocks that are meant to be held for roughly nine months. That's the length of the contest. The CNBC Stock Draft Contest ends the Friday before the Super Bowl, January 31, 2020. But this year, we're also allowing home gamers to bet on which player will have the best performance over the next month. Not nine months, but one month. Now, a stock picking contest by its very nature is very different from managing an actual portfolio. Even if you put a gun to my head, I'd never tell anyone to buy three stocks and hold them for the next nine months, no matter what. Kind of lunacy. We believe in buy and homework, not buy and hold. And we don't just throw darts. So lesson one, there's no sell-by date in real life. This is not a trading show. I'm here to teach you how to be a better investor, better long-term uh, stock picker, a better client. I'm not trying to nail the next nine months. I'm trying to show you how to build a terrific portfolio. And in some ways, that it's really antithetical to the contest. For example, the game doesn't count dividends. But I'm a big believer in owning some high-quality dividend stocks because they benefit from the magic of compounding. Plus, if we're investing for the long haul, that means buying slow and steady tortoise stocks. that may take a while to get going. If you're trying to trade, you want to bet on the hare. But trading is a totally different discipline that requires a lot more attention. Most people have jobs. They don't have time or inclination to trade. Hey, maybe I read too much Aesop as a kid, but <laughs> I'd rather bet on the tortoise than the hare any day. Lesson two, diversification is the only free lunch in this business. I know the concept of diversification is one of the most boring things on Earth. It may be second only to the bond market, but there's no denying it works. The thing is, the CNBC stock draft doesn't really allow for diversification. You need at least five stocks to be diversified. Actually, that's not even enough either, but you know, that's how we play it in the game. Three is certainly not enough. On top of that, if, you're only, if you only have a year-long time horizon or nine months, you probably want to swing for the fences with every single pick. Anyone who knows baseball knows that if you swing for the fences, you're going to strike out a lot. However, that's not an argument against owning individual stocks. And I refuse to accept, to adopt the dogma of index funds or nothing. Okay, I don't like it. You're going to hear people denigrating the participants in this contest because, according to them, it's impossible to consistently beat the market over the long haul. Anyone who does is just lucky. They say there's no reliable method for picking stocks because markets are too efficient. I, don't even, I mean, that's just silly. Many of these stock pickers have consistently crushed the averages, and you do that by making your own luck. By the same token, many index fund zealots are trying to sell you index funds, but that never comes up, does it? Does their rationale ever come up other than the fact that they think you don't know how to do it? Now, don't get me wrong. I love index funds. If you don't have time to do the homework on individual companies, they're a fabulous way to get exposure to the stock market. They're a fabulous way anyway, even if you do have time. Um, I, I think index funds should be the backbone of your retirement portfolio. Put your savings in an index fund first. I always say first 10000 goes to an index fund. Then once you have some discretionary mad money, then you can start picking stocks. So I do have, I do have hard and fast rules that are in favor of index funds. I just don't denigrate the index fund people the way they denigrate you. Speaking of stock picking, let's talk about the contest itself. i got to tell you, I was completely impressed by the picks. I predicted that the Beardstown ladies, who picked last, by the way, uh, it wasn't a snake draft, they picked last and then they just picked last, uh, would win over the next year with their terrific picks, Alibaba, Biogen, and Visa. Let me give you my analysis, snapshot. Alibaba's a coiled spring, Amazon, a China, at a time when the People's Republic is making a major comeback. I think they'll have the biggest singles day ever. That's that made-up uh, shopping holiday in November. At almost 108 bucks, okay, the stock isn't as cheap as it was. And if the stand ladies are going to win, this thing needs to advance, I'd say, maybe even 100 points over the, next, over the next nine months. I'm just eyeing that. But I want exposure to the best stock in China right here, and that's Alibaba for sure. Second pick is Biogen. Curious, down-and-out biotech company. Biogen's Alzheimer's drug failed a major clinical trial earlier this year, and since then, the stock's been in the real doghouse. But they have other drugs. And there are plenty of other big pharma outfits with the urge to merge here. Hey, look at how Bristol-Myers acquired Celgene. So you have the potential for a huge upside over the next nine months if Biogen catch a takeover bid. While that's a risky bet, as I told you before, the nature of this contest encourages participants to swing for the fences. All right, how about Visa, the last one? You know, this one is harder. The credit card company reported today, and it didn't deliver an outstanding number. It didn't. Uh, that's unusual for Visa and for Al Kelly. But the fact is, the stock barely got dinged in a less than stellar quarter. So imagine how much money it will make on a good one. My second favorite, I know it's, it's O-Z, but it's called, pronounced O's. O's the mentalist, okay? Uh, he went with Disney, Bitcoin, and Goldman Sachs. Amazingly, I showed my fellow on-air personalities, okay, Ty, Mel, and Guy, a stock. I wrote it down. Disney. And then I said that O's, I, I said I was going to ask O's what stock I was thinking about when I wrote it down. He told me I was thinking about a stock he was going to pick, Disney. I mean, that's a good trick. I, I have no idea how he did it. Uh, why do I like these three picks? Well, you know, get this. After spending ages treading water, the stock of Disney has transformed itself with that Fox acquisition, new who News 2, streaming services. While the stock's already started roaring, I'm betting it has more upside. Bitcoin, honestly, I don't like it. I don't like it for the long term. Oh, but for nine months, anything can bounce, and this one can bounce hard. Finally, I like Goldman Sachs for a very simple reason. If they can't resolve that Malaysian scandal in the next nine months, I'm betting a stock can tackle on 50 points practically overnight, which is why my Chapel Trust owns it. But how about the month-long contest that you can play at home? I know mean, you go to cbc.com and find all that. Well, this is a totally different kettle of fish. I never understood that term, but I love cliches tonight. There are two stocks, two stocks, two semiconductor stocks that report in the next month, NVIDIA and AMD. They've both been amazing performers over time, but their stocks were eviscerated late last year thanks to an inventory glut. Lately, both stocks have been rallying, and if that inventory adjustment is over, then these two rivals could have scorching runs once they report. So in the monthly contest, you might want to be thinking about betting with Nick Lowry, who was last year's winner, the old Jets kicker, even though his third pick, Microsoft, isn't really the kind of stock that gives people big trading wins. That said, you wouldn't know it from Microsoft's terrific $4 rally today after reporting an amazing quarter last night. And both NVIDIA and AMD their stocks are trading down this very evening after the close, and simply with some real downbeat news out of Intel. Not so good for these picks because for the moment, because contestants have to use the closing prices, and those are a lot higher than where they are trading right now when you're in the evening. No matter. Hey, listen, if NVIDIA and AMD get it on their own quarters, Nick wins. You do, too. All in all, I like the game very much. I'm always blown away by how much people know about individual stocks when it's entirely possible, just like in the NFL draft, that the real intended picks had already just been grabbed right before they had to talk to us. I salute all the participants. They're emblematic of all you home gamers who put in a lot of work researching your own stocks. The bottom line, congratulations to everyone who's participating in the CNBC stock Draft. But remember... This is just a contest. You shouldn't play by these rules at home. Never forget, you suspend diversification and dividends at your own pearl. They are often the keys to long-term riches. Let's go to Robbie in California, please. Robbie. Hi, Jim. I'd like to get your take on iRobot, IRBT, I uh, mean that thing's 20%. just too nutty. That's too nutty. I mean, there's some stocks. I don't know, I'm not talking about Tesla, which has got like a P.T. Barnum feel to it. I'm talking about a company that literally posts a number, looks great, looks bad, looks great, looks bad. That's an ungameable stock. Periodically, have Stamps.com is similar. Just too hard. Uh, don't look at me. There's somebody who knows it better. Bob in Pennsylvania. Bob. Yeah. Hi, Jim. Thanks for a great show. Ah, uh, you're a good man.
2: I'm interested in VMware. I'm holding 500 shares for a number of years. At 90 bucks a share, it hit 203 today, and I just want
1: your opinion on the company. Okay, VMware, yes. I mean, today, uh, all-time high, we have Sanjay Poonen on, who is the COO. He's a remarkable man, and by the way, a very charitable man who spends a huge amount of time talking about equality, and he's right to do that. Uh, VMware is a remarkably fabulous company. And I think even up here, if it comes down off of some uh, negative news about tech, you want to own it. It's one of our cloud kings. And I, it's the great onboarder to Amazon Web Services. I know Amazon didn't blow out the number today, but boy, it was pretty darn good. My takeaway from today's very exciting stock draft, which I love, Sandy Cannell, thank you so much for letting me play. Um, I think the Beardstown ladies have some serious horror sense, even though they drafted number 10. Oz Perlman, the mentalist. he's made some smart picks, too. But please remember, you at home aren't playing again. So diversification, dividends, they're the key for you. Oh man, tonight, has the line finally straightened itself out? I'm talking to the CEO after earnings. Then roughly half the year's IPO's activity has come in just three weeks of April alone. I'm recapping the action, telling you which companies to pay attention to going forward. And former Vice President Joe Biden launched his presidential bid today. And he says he wants to defend and build on the Affordable Care Act. What does that mean for a company like Centene? I think it's good news. I've got the CEO. jeans, they're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time, and in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Look, we do the show for this long. You know what you can do? You can admit when you've made a mistake. Late last year, Align Technologies, the maker of Invisalign braces, saw its stock get crushed as investors started worrying about newfound competition from a lot of deep-pocketed rivals. About two and a half months ago, I very publicly gave up on a stock that I have liked for 100 points and told you to sell Align into strength. Stocks rallied more than 20% since we were in that segment. So even if you believe the worries here were well-founded, I was wrong to recommend selling it down there. That said, the action in the line today gives some people pause. Last night, the company reported a strong top and bottom line beat, excellent guidance for the next quarter, especially on the earnings front. They're talking about making a buck 47 to a buck 54, when Wall Street was only looking for a buck 24. If you were afraid that new competitors would ruin Alliance margins, well, I-, I think it's game set match. It can't possibly be true. However, the stock actually ended up trading down today, in spite of that great quarter. Why? Rivals! This morning, one of Align's chief rivals, Smile Direct Club, struck a deal with CVS, the big drugstore chain, But hundreds of SDCs store within stores at CVS locations this year. How do we make sense of this whole thing? Should we be focused on the actual numbers? Should we focus on the competition? What's the right thing to look at? Let's take a closer look with Joe Hogan, the president and CEO of Align Technologies. Hear more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Hogan, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. All
1: right, Joe, I owe you an apology. I thought that the competition was going to get uh, to your margins. I was worried about uh, Dan Herc, which is such a good company. I have to admit that I felt trepidation about 3M, which reported a poor number today. I thought they'd be going in. You obviously proved me wrong. Tell our viewers what kind of franchise you have that has been able to withstand really some big, big deep pocketed competition. Well, Jim, first of all, it's a demand equation
0: that you and I have talked about before. I mean, we have an incredible uh, demand. When you think about our product line, it's from a patient standpoint, it's it's a patient preference. I mean, patients would rather use uh, clear aligners to move their teeth than they would wires and brackets. We're only ten percent penetrated in that market, gym of twelve uh, million customers overall. And secondly, we see with digital orthodontics, uh, overall customer base of three hundred million patients out there. So. We see an incredible demand equation. We have the right technology. We have the right business. And I think uh, the right strategic and operational procedures right now.
1: So then when you see a release that comes out this morning, CBS Health and Smile Direct Club team up to expand access. I'm sure, look, you're a competitive guy. You look at every competitor. But you don't say to yourself, oh, no, CBS, they're everywhere. This could hurt us.
0: Well, I mean, with CVS, you see that, that combination of retail and, and health going on that you see in different health segments, too, Jim. So that's not a surprise. And this is just this is how Smile Direct Club goes to market. You know, they don't have a, a doctor that directly intervenes uh, and, you know, sees a patient in that sense. Uh, they have a retail kind of mentality, and it's just another step in their, in their value chain. But overall, you see, they're enjoying good growth, and we're enjoying good growth in the
1: North American marketplace, too. Let's talk about some of the secular trends here. Uh, my daughter... Uh, used Invisalign. Now, candidly, I thought my daughter had good teeth. Did she have perfect teeth? The kind of perfect teeth that you see when you go out and people are taking pictures, doing selfies, that kind of thing? No. She went with you. She went with you because she said it was not embarrassing. No one could see she had it. It didn't last very long. And then, boom, her teeth were perfect. How much of my daughter's kind of customer do you have? Uh, We're less than 10%. Really? So you have a lot more room. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And when I say less than ten percent, let's say your daughter is, you know, a young a 20, young woman, 24. that's our right. twenty four. Yeah, in that marketplace we have about twenty five percent of the market. From a teen standpoint,
1: we have less than ten percent. Well, that's rather amazing. That's given, in North America. Yeah, I mean, given the fact that dentists, I mean, let's think about this. Dentists are looking for new products, so to speak. I'm not saying they're pushing out. Know, I have a great dentist. They're not pushing anything on you. But they need to diversify their arsenal so they can have, they can make a, a living. And your product is something that many people could use. So that seems like a very low penetration 10%.
0: Yes. Well, from a you know, we look at an. Orth, I'm talking about orthodontic penetration. Right. When you look at GP penetration, we don't measure it that way. I mean, it's wide open. That's where the 300 million patients globally, or 100 million patients in the United States, they're in those hygienist chairs, often in the GP office, and GPs can do this. You know, the simple cases often to uh, address those patients' needs.
1: You know, I, I was surprised the number of teenagers who start treatment uh, in this quarter. A huge number.
0: Yes, yes. We're up 41% year on year with teens. We see good strength in North America and overall from the Pacific and also mayor region also. So that's, that's our most under, un, underutilized segment also, Jim. And we have great new technology, mandibular advancement that we talked about the last time you and I were together, mm-hmm. our new Invisalign teen product where you can start arch expansion at six or seven years old. These are segments of the marketplace we couldn't touch before. And so now we have access to 80 to 90% of the broad teen patients that are out there.
1: You know, on uh, Monday, I'm going to my dentist, and I said to him, Look, I had my braces when I was 13. I don't like the way my teeth are separating. What would Invisalign do for me? And he said, Well, let's think about it. I see if I could get this smile view uh, tool, which would allow me to actually look at what my teeth would be like. I think the decision's easy. When can I have that tool in my dentist's office?
0: Well, you know, actually, you can get that on your iPhone today. There's an app, there's a mobile app called SmileView. If you download that, you can take a selfie. In 60 seconds, you can see how your teeth are now and what your teeth will look like after, uh, after you know, a clinical episode with us.
1: Jeez, that's incredible. So uh, can I just say, you know, 3M reported a number today and I I wasn't that impressed with it. Many other people weren't. What I realized is they could come in theoretically and really just kind of cut margins just by themselves and still have their own margins lifted. um, If they came in, aren't you worried someday that a big deep pocketed partner will just say, you know what, I'm going to give this thing away. I'm going to give this thing away for a couple of years because we can afford to do it. and won't hurt our bottom line.
0: Well, I think it's, it's difficult called for a company like 3M. I mean, they make 30%, 35% margins on their wires and brackets business. They concentrate mainly in teens. Uh, you have to have scale in this business in order to make money, and they don't have that scale yet. So I think even a big company, Jim, I, mean, I worked for GE for years, that kind of a division it has a certain responsibility to be able to return cash and margins. So um, I, I just think it's a difficult equation.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Joe, obviously having admitted that I was wrong when that last quarter, I, I want to reiterate that I was wrong, uh, because I think your story is a very good one, and the other companies didn't ri- ri- rise to the challenge, and maybe they won't. So thank you so very much for coming on May of Money. Jim, Jim, thanks for having us back. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Joe Hogan, President CEO of Align Technologies. Guys, if you read the conference call, you're going to know why they're beating everybody. They're just better. Mav Money's back. into the break. As someone who wants higher stock prices, I mean, that's really our only ideological commitment here on May of Money. My greatest fear is nothing to do with earnings or the trade war or even the Federal Reserve. No, what I'm worried about is the deluge of initial public offerings that are flooding the market. I know, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. We've seen a bunch of ultra frothy IPOs lately. You know what? And froth, whether it's in the stock market or in this class, not a good sign. See, the stock market's all about supply and demand. When you flood it with new supply, that puts real pressure on the averages. Every time we get another one of these deals that's engineered to be red hot, money managers need to sell something else to raise cash that they want to participate. Eventually, as the IPO cycle goes on, the deals become less rewarding. Investors start getting burned, and people end up turning against stocks as an asset class. And make no mistake, we've had a tsunami of deals. Nearly half of this year's IPO activity has come in just the first three weeks of April. 17 IPOs this week versus 18 in the entirety of the first quarter. We had eight last week alone. This is nuts, people. This week, it feels like we're in the eye of the storm with no deals scheduled. But there might be as many as six more coming next week. I don't know if the market can handle all that new supply, especially because, say, after the close tonight, we heard from Intel saying dramatic slowdown in Chinese business. Well, you know they're going to sell a lot of techs. And a lot of the next deals that are coming are techs. So tonight, I want to give you an update on the state of the IPO, IPO deluge, because there's some very important lessons to learn here. First of all, how are these newly minted stocks performing? We tend to forget about them after the second or third day, don't we? While the average IPO from the class of 2019 is up 20% from its deal price, the median is only up 13%, and roughly a third of them are down versus where they came public. Still, if you can get shares in the actual offering, you've done pretty well for yourself. But those shares are incredibly hard to come by. What if you can't get a piece of the deal? On average, these new IPOs are up just 2% from where they started trading. 2%. Although 42% of these have lost you money. Lost you money if you got in on the first trade. And I've got to tell you, I think that's pretty darn sobering. There's nothing surprising in those numbers. Initial public offerings can be insanely profitable for anyone lucky enough to get an allotment in the offering itself. But buying these same stocks in the aftermarket, it has always been an iffy proposition. And look, the IPO market is indeed starting to get frothy. A week ago, we got two huge deals, Pinterest and Zoom video communications. At the time, I told you the initial moves in these stocks made me a bit nervous. But since then, they've only continued to rocket higher. Pictures came public at 19, surged at 24.40 at the close last Thursday. Now it's at 28.80. It's up another 18% if you're rallying for four straight days this week. Zoom debuted at 36, pole vaulted 72% on the first day of trading, 62, and it's continued to run, climbing to 65 today. I bet you those stocks both go down off of what Intel said, even though they're not even related to what Intel's talking about. You know where I stand on these two? I think they're terrific companies, but the stocks are getting ridiculously overvalued versus similar merchandise. And they only get more expensive, of course, as they go higher. What about the best-performing IPOs? Do they have anything interesting going for them? Okay, let's work our way down the class of 2019. The best performer here is really intriguing, one that I just didn't focus on enough. It's called Jumia Technologies. Yes, J-M-I-A, which some are calling the Amazon of Africa. Pretty straightforward concept. Jumi operates online stores in 14 African countries, including Ghana, Kenya, Ivory Coast, Morocco, and Egypt. They sell everything from goods and services to online food delivery to plane tickets to classified ads. And they also have a platform where small businesses can sell their own merchandise online. Juve stock has been a juggernaut, and this is one of the few deals where you could have made a killing in the aftermarket. I wish again I'd spotted it myself. Think came public at 1450. Started trading at 1895 right out of the game. And now it's just under 36 bucks, giving IPO investors a phenomenal 147% gain. Even if you couldn't get a piece of the deal, you're still up 89% from where the stock opened. And Julia only came public two weeks ago. I am very intrigued by this story still. When Alibaba came public, calling itself the Amazon of China, it turned out to be a terrific long-term investment. Same goes for Mercado uh, Mercado, I'm sorry, Mercado, Libra, uh, the Amazon of Latin America. By the way, full disclosure, I was one of the initial investors in that when I was a hedge fund manager. Of course, that's a long, long time ago. It makes sense to me that Jumia might follow in their footsteps. They're the first mover in Africa, and I think that there's real demand for what they're offering. We're talking about a continent with 400 million internet users. A number that's only going to keep climbing. And Jumia's only tapped into 1% of that. <laughs> I would say there's a ton of room to grow. Portfolio managers are desperate for high-quality ways to play the amazing growth in Africa. Jumi is the one. However, you know me. I hate to chase a stock that's run so much. I say put it on your shopping list and wait for a pullback. And they do come. Do you think many people thought three hours ago that they'd be a back in tech into what Intel said tonight? Next up, we've got a pair of medical device companies. Shockwave Medicals, the second best performing IPO of 2019, it's up 127% from its early March debut. Silk Road Medicals in third place, up 89% since it came public two weeks ago. Shockwave's technology uses sound waves to unblock arteries that are filled with plaque. This could be revolutionary. Silk Road has minimally invasive procedures that helps reduce the risk of strokes in patients with carotid artery disease. Again, could be breakthrough. Both of these stocks correctly spiked right out of the gate. But while Silk Road pretty much stalled at these levels, shockwaves continue to rally. That monster $4 move today. At the end of the day, these are two speculative small cap medical device companies. I don't know enough about either one of them to recommend them to you, but I'm happy to do more homework. So I'm issuing an open invitation to the CEOs of Shockwave and Silk Road to come on the show and explain the respective mouse traps. Of course, anyone who's used them or knows how to use them, please, at you know, Jim Cramer, Twitter, right? Then there's a financial technology company, Up FinTech. UpFintech. Hmm. It's up 83% since it came public a little over a month ago. Sounds like it was created for the fintech move, doesn't it? Well, sure enough, this is an online brokerage firm focused on Chinese investors stock had a huge run, thanks in large part to the recent rebound in Chinese equity markets. But UP FinTech is an American depository receipt of a company that's already trading in China. Do you know history tells us those, ten- those tend to be real risky? We saw this over and over again with the Chinese IPOs uh, from the class of 2018. They post these huge early gains, then their stocks tend to get obliterated. So if you've got a win in this one, here's what I want you to do tomorrow morning. This sound speaks thousands of words. Got it? Nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. After that, we got a pair of software companies, both of which came public uh, exactly two weeks ago. There's Tuffin, T-U-F-I-N software, up 73% from its IPO price. It's cybersecurity. You know how hot that is. And then there's PagerDuty, up 65%, which helps companies coordinate the data they're getting from mobile devices and use it to make real-time decisions. Sound concept. Once again, we saw some big first-day gains in these stocks. Once again, these stocks are incredibly expensive, and underlying companies are nowhere near profitable. I love a good enterprise software story. Hey, I created the Cloud Kings list. But it's hard for me to get a read on where these tech IPOs deserve to trade. I can tell you they seem too rich for me. Here's the bottom line. We're being flooded with new IPOs here, but when you look at the best performers from the class of 2019, very few of them seem worth chasing, to me, at these levels. In fact, given the big jumps to stocks like Zoom and Pinterest, and those weak numbers and forecasts from Intel tonight, I'm starting to worry that this IPO cycle, especially the tech portion, may be reaching irrational exuberance territory. Joe in Georgia. Joe. Hey, Jim, this is Joe in North Georgia. Just hey, hey, been partner. Out
2: what's your latest? Good. Just calling to get your latest opinions on what's going on with the folks at Dow DuPont.
1: All right, look, this stock yields 5%, the highest yield in the Dow. I don't know. People are selling down these, these stocks. I think that that's crazy. I've got to tell you that when you yield 5% in a high-quality company like Dow with some of the raw costs going down, you buy some here. My travel trust is doing that, and you buy some when it's at 5.5% yield. You build a nice position with the Treasuries. This uh, giving you so little yield. This is precisely the kind of stock you should reach for. But right now, it's an unsettled market. And I think the sellers are going to have genuine remorse. Can I go to Anthony in California, please? Anthony. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, ticker symbol H-U-Y-A. They're a video game streaming service out of China, I believe. And they recently launched their IPO within the last year, uh, trying to get a piece of the video game industry, and this is kind of a unique play yeah, on Too and dangerous, on and we don't know if the government encourages those guys these days, so we're going to have to take a pass on that. And if you do win video game industry, you know we do like Take-Two, but we're not a big fan of the group right now because of the explosion, uh, the Fortnite situation, which has made it really, really hard to game. We're going to take a hard look at NVIDIA tomorrow, which is going down in sympathy with Intel tonight. That may be another way to look at it. But I say, what we really got to be worrying about is holding the froth, please. This year's Tsunami of Deals has got me, well, let's just say concerned, okay? Jumi has got a strong story, but I only like that one on pullback. Other than that, most of these don't seem worth chasing, not at these levels. You need to see these stocks come down. All right, much more mad many. And speaking about stocks that have come down, have you seen Centene lately? Holy cow. Don't miss my exclusive for the company's CEO. I bet you the money rolls right back into that group after what happened tonight in tech. Then the most stunning executive move of the year it may turn out to be the best executive move. And I'm talking about Taco Bell. Well, that means, yes, Taco Bell. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What are we supposed to make of the dreaded HC? That's portfolio managers speak for healthcare, the healthcare space, especially since the managed care providers have been hammered in recent months while the rest of the markets were higher. I can't believe these stocks are vulnerable. Most of the Democrats running for president are either campaigning on some form of Medicare for all or at least talking about serious cost controls. And that's a real risk for the managed care uh, cohort. The president's not a friend either. Or is he? We need to put this risk in context. Sure, as possible if the Democratic nominee, uh, someone pretty left-wing that wins and they sweep the Senate and then they have the political will to go ahead and do something that maybe we could have a single-payer system. But is it likely? Oh, that's a lot of ifs. In the meantime, many of these companies are doing incredibly well. Earlier this week, we heard from Centene, a health plan provider for government-sponsored programs like Medicare, Medicaid, and the Obamacare exchanges. And they're in fabulous shape. Centene reported a bountiful five-cent earnings beat. Uh, it was off a dollar 34 basis, much higher than expected revenue. Management raised their full-year forecast. It was a classic beat-and-raise quarter. Yet at this point, the stock sells really 10 times next year's earnings estimates. Even with the newfound political risk here, I think Centene's way too cheap, especially since they got a major catalyst here in the form of a $15 billion care acquisition so brilliant, clearly the company believes this business as a future, or else they wouldn't be doubling down on it. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with someone who's sane, who understands the way this business works. Let's check in with Michael Meidwarf. who's the chairman and CEO of Centene. To learn more about the quarter, where his company's headed, Mr. honor. welcome back to May of Money. Good to see you, Michael. How are you? Good to see you. I am so glad that you could be on the show because we've got to talk about something that was actually talked about today in this stock picker uh, Both Guy and Dami used terrific enough. We both said it's ridiculous. Enough is enough. Companies that do a great job in the healthcare space, like United Health, like you are being pummeled, as if we're back in a period where the ta- both houses are run, run by Democrats and we have a president who hates the health world. That's not the world we're in now.
2: No. Actually, if you, if you think about it, the general population is happy with what we have. You know, the ACA, it's working. Every year we seem to renew 80 percent of what we had the year before. We have 2 million people. They love it. They're staying in with it. They're staying longer. It's working. People don't want to accept it. They want to change. What they're talking about, I don't think, works.
1: Well, uh, we heard today Joe Biden, obviously he could be a front-runner instantly, he was saying that he thinks that uh, he wants to defend and build on the ACA. No explicit mention of Medicare for All, but I think more important, he's talking about uh, health insurance as a right, not health care as a right. Those are two very different things, aren't they?
2: Yes. You know, everybody needs to have access to health care. And I think people need to have access to affordable health care. I heard your opening comments. You talk about cost. We work hard on cost. But we also subscribe to the fact that the highest quality is the lowest cost. If you, you do it right the first time, you have the right provider network, it works. And we're proving it every day.
1: All right, so now you've made this big acquisition. Obviously, if you felt that the, uh, this segment was going, I know you're, you run a health care company, but I know you look at the stock market. If you thought it was going to be as bad as uh, when Obama was elected, then obviously you're paying too much. You're clearly making a statement that it's probably already been too punished, and this is an opportunistic moment.
2: I think it's punished. I think, the, you know, in our case, we put two good companies together. Okay? And there's a good strategic rationale for what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I'm at the point now that, yeah, I look at the stock price. I want our, our shareholders to do well. I want to continue the growth. We have a lot of very successful shareholders, and we've tried to do a good job for it. But it's at a point now it's macro. It's not us. It's people reacting and worried about what they're hearing and not and thinking, thinking about, can it be implemented? Is it realistic?
1: Well, why don't they listen? For instance, uh, Chuck Schumer, my senator, not in favor. Of, uh, of Medicare for All, Nancy Pelosi, powerful speaker, certainly not in favor. Mm. Oh, these people are not voted out of office in 2020. Nothing's making sense to me. Just tell me how come fear spreads? You speak to big accounts. People,
2: in, in pol- people hear a politician say something. And I said, you know, I, the, real, the opportunity, well, what happened. And they say, well, we've seen things back in 16 and other times we thought could not happen. And All it right. did. Right. So there's an overreaction to what they hear.
1: Now, uh, I have seen in other press outlets that you may have to make some divestitures. Uh, who determines that? And is it possible that you may lose some of the markets that you really want to be in?
2: No. I, we're not going to lose any markets. You're not. We're going to gain markets. We're Tell picking me. up uh, Michigan. We're picking up uh, Kentucky. We're going to be adding some of our products to those new markets. So that's all good. There are, and we focus on public policy. Right. I believe in sound public policy. Right. They want individuals to have choice. There are some states where there's three plans, and we're two of the three, WellCare and Centene. So when you look at that, it says, yes, they probably make sense right. for them. But other states I, where we have a, a large share. I, I think they're starting to understand that critical mass helps us to be more successful, take on risk on a balanced mm-hmm. basis, and I think it's going to work out very well for everybody.
1: All right. Uh, you have impressed me over the years as someone who is really out for the consumer to get the best health care. What do you say to the person, and we know some of them ourselves when we talk about it, who 25 percent of their income is spent on on health care right now? What do you
2: do? I think that's unacceptable. I think it's unacceptable with the the number of people that are below the federal poverty level. I think it's unacceptable that individuals are making a wage that they can't live on. So we have to think about these things from a social standpoint. And it doesn't mean that you have to redistribute a lot of wealth, but you have to do some things that we're doing at Centene. We're talking about what should the minimum wage be, you know, things of that nature. How do we ensure that employees have affordable care? But you have to educate them. You have to help them understand how it works, how to access care,
1: you can do it. Is the industry doing enough? I know you are, but, you know, there's some very big players. They seem, they come across as being companies that are a little bit more heartless than maybe they are. Is the industry doing enough to try to encourage lower prices?
2: I won't go into a lot of details out of fairness, everybody, and confidentiality. But there are a small group of us, large companies, because we're now fortunate to be in the large right. sector, that are working together to try and help people understand how to access care, what makes up for quality care, and what we're contributing to better health care.
1: All right. Well, that's all we can ask for, because you know it is a crisis. Right. And it's not being addressed correctly, in my eyes or yeah, in yours.
2: We—I just want to have to say, my biggest pension right now is to get us back to policy and away from politics.
1: Perfect. That's what we need to do. That's my, you know, I don't talk about politics. This is something near and dear to me because of the reasons I talk about with Michael. I want to thank Michael Neidorf, chairman CEO of Centene Corporation, who's trying to get health insurance for all. Right. They have money's back in. Right. It is time! The <laughs> and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate. That is over. The lightning round comes over. We'll with Eric. Eric. Hello, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. S-R- Back S-R- at you. Therapeutic. S-R- you know, this search. Cert- I like this company. They do really are kind of concentrated on the one port, one drug, so to speak. And I don't like one drug company. So even though I think the drug is great. Don't fight. Don't fight. I need to go to Jim in Connecticut, please. Jim. It's Jim, it's Jim from
2: Connecticut. How are you? After watching the uh, upside move in KKR, after they went from a partnership to a corporation, is Blackstone BX undervalued now? No, because no. Cause they now announced- that they've
1: done this, they've made that change. Uh, I I really feel like that you, you kind of stole from the upside here. Uh, so I'm going to have to take pass past these levels. I think I has to come in. Before I would recommend it. Can I go to Sunil in Texas, Sunil? Uh booyah, Jim. This Bo- is Sunil from Flowermont, Texas. All right. Uh, want to know your thoughts about Dexcom, to Give me two for. It. I like Dexcom. I like Tandem. They both are down a lot. It's been a series of raids. People keep articulating the fact that these companies aren't doing that well. That is untrue. I don't know why they're raiding them. I do think that uh, Dexcom, which we've had on multiple times, is doing very well. Let's go to Stephen in Florida. Stephen. Stock is HCA. All right, HCA is down very big as part of this anti healthcare market, but I believe when Intel slashes its forecast because of the decline in data center, that money's going to roll back into HC, as we call it healthcare, and the natural one that'll roll back into is HCA. Good pick. Sarah in Iowa. Sarah.
2: Hi, Jim. Thank you for teaching us how to do the homework.
1: Oh, terrific. Thank you.
2: Thanks. My stock is HNI.
1: Yeah, office furniture. But, you know, when we think of office furniture around here, we think of Herman Miller because that is Aeron and a lot of other good things, including design with, uh, not within reach because it's expensive, but it's really beautiful stuff. Uh, Let's take one more. Let's go to Bill in Virginia. Bill. Yes, sir.
2: Mr. Kramer, long time watcher, first time caller. Okay. Tractor tractor Supply. Oh, man.
1: Did you see that stock break out the last few days? I like Tractor Supply so much. It is garden season. I have to hit my Tractor Supply hard. When it was in 60 to 70, we said bye, bye, bye. Why? Because we like that company's business model. Now it's all the way up in the hundreds, but I still think you can go higher. Let's go to Tyler in New York. Tyler. Chimbo. Hey, yo. Booyah. From Long Island, New York. Okay high? So I it in Italy. Yeah, what's going on? Uh, I'm looking at Tanger Factory Outlet Centers. I don't know what's uh, happening I there. I mean, the occupancy rate is still good, but they are renegotiating some deals, and the stock deals 7%, which obviously worries me, but Steve Tanger's a good man. Here's what we have to do. We have to have him on, because, you know, in good times and bad times, people should like that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the Lightning Round!
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: The most surprising executive hire of 2018 may also be the one that turns out to be the best executive hire. I'm talking about Brian Nichol, the former head of Taco Bell, who got poached by Chipotle in February of last year. There were plenty of reasons to be oh, gosh darn skeptical about this one, including the many years that Chipotle would poke fun at Taco Bell for putting an insane number of unpronounceable chemicals into each burrito versus the all-natural Chipotle version. It did seem like kind of a weird fit, but what a difference a year makes. Last night, Chipotle reported its first quarter that overlaps with, with Nichols' tenure. And the numbers were fantastic. You wouldn't know it from the stock, which got hammered, because we learned that Chipotle had been subpoenaed by a federal court related to the foodborne illness issues that used to plague the company. But Rather than rehashing all the health scares, when I see this stock down more than $31 or 4.5%, all I can think is buying opportunity. Buy into Brian Nickel. I mean, Chipotle just reported a quarter with 9.9% same-store sales growth. That's, that's, that's amazing. It's incredible given the prolonged downturn caused by these same health care concerns, as well as perceived decline in quality and cleanliness. The subpoena won't change people's minds because that's all in the rearview mirror. Uh, Nickel's now playing offense. And the, stock reflects, the stock's recent rally reflects that strength, even after today's frankly ridiculous shellacking. How did Nickel engineer Chipotle's comeback? It's no mystery. He lays it all out right at the top of the conference call. As far as he gave it away. If I were owned a restaurant, oh, I do. Geez, I listened. He listed seven different elements, and I'm going to take some liberty and amalgamate them for you because I think he put on a clinic for how to succeed in retail. First, Nickel made sure the company stayed culturally relevant. I know that sounds meaningless, but what he, what he means is that it didn't, he didn't come in there and try to turn into Taco Bell. Second, he increased brand engagement and visibility. Here, Nichols started some very bold advertising campaigns while maintaining the quality of the food and Chipotle's brand identity. He had to walk a real tightrope, and that's not easily duplicated. Third, maybe in many ways most important, he digitized and modernized. Digitization allowed Chipotle to take orders ahead of time within a second with a second line for those online orders, including mobile. That way, you're not mad at the guy who comes in. He's like, "Sasha's in." He's got his order, and you're like, "Huh?" You know, it let them provide delivery and catering. It enabled the rewards program to happen. Modernization is all about making the stores look better, something that was crucial to bringing customers back after the healthcare debacles. Fourth, great hospitality. I think hospitality comes from loyalty within and loyalty without. And when it comes to the loyalty program. Well, Nichols very early on. They didn't have one before. They only had 3 million members. Remember, they can get 10 times that. Once he gets more people in and more data, hospitality question will get even better. Five throughput. During Chipotle's heyday, the real problem was throughput. You know that I knew that. That's industry speak for how long it takes to get customers to go in and out. It took too long. The shorter your throughput, the happier your customers. Nickel's done an enormous amount to solve this problem thanks to all of Chipotle's digital initiatives. Six, enhancing the powerful economic model. In other words, Nickel returned the company to immense profitability on a per-store basis by offering great bargains to get you in and then showing you a whole new Chipotle. Finally, seven, Accountability and creativity. Anyone who's followed Nichols' career at Taco Bell knows he's got plenty of creativity, especially when it comes to advertising. His his advertising was hilarious. As for accountability, he's using social. He's using social uptake, plus 400% year-over-year. He's using digital. Digital impressions, plus 300%. Measure the effectiveness of Chipotle's marketing. After what we've seen from Snap, uh, from Twitter, and from Facebook, He's on his game. Hey, speaking of someone who owns a small plate uh, Mexican uh, restaurant in Brooklyn, this is my takeout bag of Bar San Miguel. The most impressive part of of what I think Nichols is doing right now is takeout. Right now, when a delivery person comes into my place, they hang out. We try to figure out which order is theirs. We get in this bag. You know, I don't know. takes too long. Chipotle's got clearly demarcated shelving that makes delivery go so much faster, allowing them to claim correctly, as I know from today's delicious lunch, that the food travels well. Remember, that's 100% offense, and it's part of the secret sauce behind Nickel's success. What can I say? Chipotle's back, and thanks to both Brian and Nickel and, yes, must mention, company's stalwart CFO, Jack Hartung, it's better than ever. Today's pullback, it's the mother of buying opportunities. Look what, Kramer. Intel tonight talked about a China slowdown that is not in keeping with any other companies I deal with in China. But as a matter of fact, I think what we have to say is, you know what, if Intel says it, we got to at least check it out. And that means there's going to be a lot of selling in tech. You know where there's a lot of selling today? It was in 3M. Let me tell you about that. We have Mike Roman, who is the CEO. He's going to come on here next week and he's going to tell us about what 3M has to do to turn itself around. Because I gotta tell you, this was the worst day that I have seen in a very long time for 3M. As someone uh, who is the son of someone who worked for 3M, I'd like to know more about what's happening. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise i try to plan it just for you right here on May Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow!